Welcome to Open Sources Guelph. My name is Scotty Hertz, and you're saying to yourself, why is he starting the show? Well, Adam's away this week, but as we say, the show must go on. So in honor of the ongoing awards season, and to kind of reflect back on our 10th anniversary as a show, and this is actually my 20th year at CFRU, so happy anniversary to me. Uh, I'm going to take you back to December 2015. When Adam and I had our first hot political film recommendations show, this was our first award show, and uh, regular listeners know that Adam always mentions that there was one TV show, and uh, the TV show recommended was in this very episode, where I, right out of the gate, bent the rule a little bit, but uh, it was well worth it. We stand by our recommendations. And we hope you enjoy this rebroadcast of our inaugural award show from December 2015. Open Source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can listen to us here on CFRU every Thursday at 5 p.m. You can also listen to us live anytime online. Just go to CFRU.ca, and you can click on the Listen Now icon at the top right-hand corner of the screen. And, of course, you can go to the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean and download the Open Sources podcast and listen to it on whatever device you listen to find podcasts on. Today, as uh, inferred, we will be taking a break from the usual political news and uh, we're going to be talking about political movies and uh, our favorite political movies perhaps or maybe just ones that we admire but it, you know we're going to cover a wide spectrum of, of different themes and plots so there's contentious elections and difficult issues and feisty politicians and misunderstood motives all good aspects to base a, a politically motivated movie on. And uh, it was a bit interesting tackling this experiment, Scotty, because I, uh, I was looking around at my DVD collection, which is in like three different locations because I have so many. And uh, <laughs> aside from documentaries, I don't actually have a lot of politically based movies. Like I have maybe a handful like I have, I have the American President or the Rob Reiner movie. Uh-huh, uh, right. I have uh, Fair Game, which is um, the based on the the Valerie Plame. What happened to her? I think I reviewed that once, which is why I have that one. I, it's not something I probably would have went out and bought myself. And uh, yeah, I've like I guess maybe politically themed ish movies. Like I have V for Vendetta, which uh-huh. is very yep. politically motivated. I, I find that a lot of them I've seen on. Uh, like second run cinema like at the bookshelf mm-hmm. that's a little plug for the bookshelf i guess but <laughs> and i missed one that happened this past week was a double header of some new ones which was uh suffragette mm-hmm. and trumbo both very politically charged films would yeah. have been a great double header but of course this time of year it's kind of difficult to make time but hopefully they will come back uh failing that it's i mean it's it's almost easy really ridiculously easy now just to get hold of movies i used to have to like wait and search and hunt for a dvd and usually in the remainder pile because that's the kind of films i watch um <laughs> or that section in uh in the beat goes on that has the you know what is it 10 movies for a dollar or whatever it is right but not quite that low not quite that low ball but uh you know i come across them eventually and and obviously listen for people's recommendations on stuff and that's what we're going to do today is give you some recommendations on hot political films mm-hmm. that you might enjoy in the new year and so uh how it's going to work is scotty's going to do one i'm going to do one and uh that's going to we'll, we'll, we'll repeat and after the be, break there'll be banter there will be banter yes <laughs> there will be banter hard to believe on on our show but yes uh so scotty your first pick my first pick isn't actually a movie. I've deviated a bit, but it's it's something with a movie feel, and I highly recommend it to everyone. Any 
talk of politics and uh, media and shows, I always mention Borgen. It inevitably comes up. Mm-hmm. It is it is highly recommended as a both a bin, binge watch and just to, to watch as a show. It's it's in the can already. It's, it's they're not making any new ones. It's uh, from Denmark. Uh, Borgen is actually the uh, parliament buildings in in Denmark. It used to be a castle of some kind. I don't know all the details, but Borgen pretty much just means the parliament mm-hmm. uh, in the. Not the vernacular, but you know, in, in in Danish, I guess. And there's just there's something about this show. It's incredibly compelling, right from the the get go, from the first episode. I believe you can watch the first episode online, gratis, either on YouTube or whatever, or snippets of it to get an idea of what's going on. And weirdly enough, I actually first heard about it on Coronation Street. Believe it or not, they alluded to it. The people sitting around watching it and saying they didn't mention it by name, but they said, "I didn't know the Danish Parliament could be that interesting." I'm thinking. <laughs> What a weird comment. I need to find out more. But it turned out that this show had become so huge that it spread from uh, Denmark to Europe and then on to Canada and the USA by extension. And right now, they're in season two on TV Ontario. You can get it online or whatever. Like I said at the beginning, all the places where you can get films. There's been a lot of this going on with Danish TV shows, two in particular police procedural dramas, The Killing, Mm -hmm. which was remade into a police show for the U.S., and The Bridge which is a Sweden-Denmark uh, co-production. I didn't think I'd be sitting here talking about Danish TV <laughs> for my for the kickoff, but just, just to give you but an idea. But it was idea, also remade yeah, as an American. The so. uh, the quality of the stuff is so high, that the as as is the way in the States, that they remake it because they feel that uh, they do this sort of, we don't think the audience is smart enough kind of thing. You really have to pay attention to Borgen because most of it's in Danish. They occasionally speak in English and other languages, but you got to keep an eye on the subtitles. You absolutely have to pay attention. And it's, it is a... I would describe it as riveting. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a hundred percent. I don't think oh, they wow. give, I don't think they give much a hundred percent. But this, I know, th- I know the first two Toy Stories are also one hundred percent. Oh, I, I, just, I just heard somebody say that recently. I say it's up there with Toy it's Story. It's up there with Woo! Toy Story. <laughs> so just to give you the premise of the show, which runs through all three seasons, is that there is Denmark works in reality works on coalitions. They never have a straight up government that's one part or the other. They always by their nature, have to work together. And what happens, and this isn't giving too much away because you probably need to know this, uh, there's a leader of the moderate party, her name is Brigitte Nyborg, and she is an unlikely person to become prime minister, but she ends up prime minister through a chain of events, which I will not give away because it's it's so concentrated and in-depth. And the angles to it, it's not just about politics. There's, a, a, I would say, 50% of it, or the other aspect is about journalism involved in politics. So it's the perfect mm-hmm. show for the Open Sources team and the fans <laughs> of the show because it covers all of the bases in terms of the crossover between uh, politics and the media and how intertwined they can be, and they usually are. There's, there is a, a definite link there that can't be severed between people that work in the media and in government and how the crossover goes on and on over the years when people change uh, allegiances, let's say, or parties and whatnot. And it covers that, but also the events in the wider world. There's an episode where they go uh, to Afghanistan and the political ramifications of that and the journalistic aspects of that and also anything to do with Denmark in terms of, uh, like, they they still, Greenland is still a part of Denmark, sort of. Mm. There's a relationship there. They cover all these international events, the real things. Some of them are names are changed to to kind of protect the innocent. I guess they protect the innocent <laughs> or, or to avoid liability or whatever. But it's it's a kind of warts and all uh, portrayal in that it's not just that kind of 
we're getting the political person. You get this whole behind the scenes too, and I think that's that's the beauty of it is that you it. it I think it was said on uh, NPR in a review of it that because it's also I think it was shown on PBS at some point that it captures the the cost of the personal life to people that are involved in politics and in journalism covering politics and issues like that. It's kind of alludes to what uh, Frank Valeri was saying when he was in. Yeah. In terms of there's this whole other thing going on behind the scenes that you don't see in the headlines or whatever as to the you know the costs to your life your relationships and all of that so i can't recommend it highly enough yeah have you, have you, and you, yeah you heard about it from me i guess yeah you know. you've been talking about it so this is I've like the first time you've been, about it for years <laughs> you've been telling yeah. our listeners Same. about it and then you, you must been, watch it yeah and in, in my instance it's just uh, you know if there's this phenomenon now peak tv where there's just so much good TV to watch, and and That's I have so a, true. So I true. have a list of of series that I, I want to check out or people recommend, and that list doesn't get smaller; it just gets bigger. Even though I'm I am trying to work my way through different series, mm-hmm. and then, you know, for every series you complete, two more come up. It's it's a it's a veritable Hydra condition here. <laughs> but uh, well, if you can binge watch Star Wars for 17 hours. I think Borgen would worry about Well, it's 30, 30 episodes, hours. right? Yeah, so 30 hours. That's not, yeah, that's not terrible in terms of binge-watching. You could do 15 in a pause, maybe. Yeah. Uh, the, it's interesting you should mention all the, the Danish TV shows getting remade. Um, well, not all of them, but the, the significant ones, the high-profile ones. Because this is one I, I found out in, in just looking up Borgen online. They, they've tried already to do a U.S. version of it with um, Jason Katims and, and David Hudgens, who are well-known for... Um, Friday Night Lights, the series, and for the Parenthood series. So, is, it, is this in the can already, or is it in production? They, no, no. This was um, I can't remember what who they were developing it for, but uh, this was uh, 2011, I think. I, I think hmm. it, was, I guess it was shortly after it launched in Denmark and became a hit in Denmark. And uh, I mean, these guys are interesting TV writers. Uh, very, you know, Jason Tim's Friday Night Lights, Parenthood. You know, all the way back to my so-called life, and he, I think he did four on thirty something. Yep. So this is this guy knows his TV, and I guess for whatever reason they couldn't crack it. I mean, he's not a political writer by any means, Jason Katims. He's not like an Aaron Sorkin type. Um, and then, but it, apparently there is uh, somebody at HBO trying to, to trying to develop it too. It it would be interesting to see what an American version of this would look like because from from the way you describe it, it's very steeped in. Um, parliamentary procedure mm-hmm. and and um that th- the rules according to that world uh which are remarkably different from the republican system not the republican party but the republican republic system in the united states um h- however they did do it for house of cards uh, smoothly enough although house of cards isn't it, I, I'm not a huge fan of House of Cards, and I've watched enough of it to you know sort of see that it's it's not a political show so much as a a show about the the Machiavelli, Kevin Spacey, Frank Underwood, look at me being like really shifty and yeah, and you, you could slot that into any scenario, whether it's Pretty the much. mob or whatever. But and it's popular; people people like it. Yeah, but you know, it is it is. You know, the, the the one place I think maybe they could try and do it, and and I, I wonder if anyone would do it is make a Canadian version of it I wonder if like the CBC or CTV or anybody would try to do a Canadian version of it I yeah guess. you never know I that th- would be really interesting and it actually it does it does make me wonder why we don't like there was a show in the 60s with Gordon Pinson where he was the MP of somewhere and I was a oh yeah I can't remember what it was Quentin called Quentin something yeah, yeah, yeah you're no right. you're yeah, yeah that's yeah. it was Quentin something MP 
<laughs> but I mean, it's before our time, right? Yeah. But uh, it was your fall asleep show after Hockey Night in Canada, probably? Um, it's that sounds about right. At least right. win the cup. And now I, I know about it because his writing was was. Uh, or, or the the stand-in for his writing was where I grew up in Georgetown. They they shot oh. the, those portions in in Georgetown. You find it on you. It's probably all on YouTube, right? Or probably. I, I can't imagine. But um, yeah, it, it there really hasn't been a great um, political show about Canada's politics. I don't think. And you know something like the West Wing, which you know when you hear talk about political shows, that's the obvious analogy is the West Wing. Uh, it's all sort of meetings in the Oval Office and that kind of statesliness that comes with the American president. But Parliament, and, and anywhere with a Parliament, works quite differently. Mm-hmm. So, well, and it reminded me. A, a, it reminds me a little bit of you know. There's a touch of all the president's men, but it's also yeah. uh, state of play, right? Which had a UK version and, and then a US a, and a US version. The movie as well. So I th- I think they really in the states and to some degree in Canada they underestimate the audiences mm-hmm. you know if you just give it to people without having to try and remake it i don't know why they insist they do this all the time they they did <laughs> they did it with sanford and son you know there's this whole we're just going to borrow this idea or dragon tattoo and yeah like you there's tons of stuff like just just let it loose to the people and let them decide right so yeah and before we wrap up Borgen, I'll just point out that, you know, for, for anyone who uh, is familiar in the entertainment world of putting together these kinds of lists, it's it's not a real list unless you cheat. So I know you felt sheepish about, like, I'm going to do a three-season <laughs> TV series for one of my entries yeah. for political movies, but it's not a real best-of list unless you cheat. So that's that's fine. Okay. <laughs> I <laughs> should put some spin on it right off the top. I'm not going to do a movie. I'm going to do a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the best TV show. But yeah, and, it, and like like I said, it's on my list. And because it's subtitled, it's not something I can put on in the background. No, and, definitely and, not. Uh, as I'm doing other things, and which is usually how I watch a lot of things. I, I got to tell you, there was an, an episode that made me cry, and that never happens. Mm-hmm. That'll tell you how powerful this stuff is. So They should put that on the, the DVD box that made Scotty Made Hurts cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bozo makes people laugh, but Borgen makes me cry. Anyway, oh, all right. on that note. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's I, I think here's a movie that won't make you cry. Anyway, uh, my first pick, which is Head of State. It's a 2004 movie, which was uh, co-written, co-produced, directed, and starring uh, Chris Rock, uh, popular comedian. Yeah. And that's... Okay. I, I, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'm excited by this pick. I'm like, yeah, stay Well, Chris Rock, uh, you know, he's, he's he's more political than perhaps people realize, and uh, this certainly reflects that. And it was made in 2004, like I said. So it's about uh, a Washington, D.C. alderman who's kind of down on his luck. He, he's like a man of the people. So there, there's a scene in early in the, in the movie where he's talking to another uh, city councilor, who was played by Keith David? Yes, oh, and not uh, David Keith. No, sorry, that's <laughs> that's <laughs> running, one of those weird the things. running joke. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and he's telling him like you got to play by the rules. You got to wear a suit, and you got to you know you got to play ball. And um, this is after uh, his char- Chris Rock's character, Mace Gilliam, rescues uh, an old woman and her cat from a building that's about to be dem- demolished. So he becomes sort of like a local hero. Uh, meanwhile. Uh, one of the candidates for president. It's never made clear. We watched the movie, and it's never made clear whether the party he ends up running for president for, Mays Gilliam, is Democrat or Republican. I imagine it's Democrat, but some of the machinations make you think of a Republican. Anyway, uh, Mays Gilliam ends up becoming the candidate for president 10 weeks before the election when the uh, 
presidential and the vice presidential pick end up uh, dying in a plane crash. That sounds Brad. <laughs> My eyebrows just went up <laughs> <I'm> like what? <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of written off as like a as a joke in the movie too. But um, so Mace Gilliam becomes a candidate for president, and he's kind of chosen because it's ten weeks till election day. The the incumbent pick, I guess, is uh, the current vice president who's running for office, and it's it's fairly certain he's going to win. But they the think you know we'll we'll. we'll We'll appoint this, you know, uh, heroic, local, feisty black man as our presidential candidate, and it's going to make us look awesome because we just made a black man a candidate for president. A bit of foreshadowing there. A bit of foreshadowing because it was just four years later, right? And uh, so it'll make the party look good and then go into 2008, and the guy who sets him up, uh, Mace Gilliam up, played by James Reborn, wants to be the the candidate in, in four years. And so what ends up happening, of course, is... Uh, Mays Gilliam realizes that he's a bit of a party patsy and starts to uh, reorganize himself to to run as his own character, which starts making him exceedingly popular. And uh, there's you know hiccups along the way, of course. Um, but what I find interesting about this movie, it's it's like silly in places, right? It's you know there's it has to be Chris Rock. <laughs> like, there's no way. It well, can it's be it's that. like it's like openly silly. You know, it's not like really smart political comedy all the way through. Like there's this. Uh, there's a Robin Givens is in it, and he, she oh. plays uh, Chris Rock's former fiance, who dumps him like right before he becomes president. But uh, beca- she dumps him because like you're never going to make anything yourself, <laughs> and you know you're, you know you're the city alderman for the down on out ward. Like you have no interest in. You know, trying so is this, to, is this this whole subline about him trying to get her back? Is that no, no, no? Oh, there isn't. Not, he's not oh, trying to get her back okay. at all. She tries to get him back. Ah, right. And like she's always popping up at these these rallies and all these events that he does, and it always and inevitably ends with him yelling for his security, who takes her away. But she, th- I guess they just like leave her somewhere because she always inevitably comes back and tries again um, right up to election day. A bit like a stalker, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Uh, I mean, that's kind of silly. Uh, there's there's uh, a ca- an entire character who is like the campaign prostitute played by Stephanie March and I guess uh, Stephanie March who you may know from she was the long running DA from Law and Order Special Victims Unit oh, but, yeah, yeah. but you know I guess it goes back to like when sex scandals were a thing mm. um, where, where it's like yeah we the got sick of sex up, scandals yeah. so we now we have our own campaign prostitute and uh, I mean that's kind of silly but the, the thing I find interesting about it is not just the fact that this was four years before Obama you know was elected and of course his campaign went exactly like that right that's me nope. <laughs> just about <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, it, it it's it's sort of there's always been this piece in the back of my head that I've always wanted to write about. Um, if you haven't liked the way Barack Obama has been president, blame Chris Rock and blame it on head of state <laughs> because the, the key scene, uh, which is like kind of the end of the first act, is after he's been through all these speeches where he's been reading caged comments and and you know all this stuff that's been you know uh, focus group to death, is that he he comes out and um, he gives his own stump speech. Um, where where he says like how many of you are broke and and you can find it on YouTube but he says like how many of you are broke how many of you make just enough money at the end of the week to be broke and it starts appealing to people and and what's interesting now looking at this movie is what's going on in the United States with the Republican side with the the rise of the outsider candidate mm-hmm. right and it's I'm not saying that Chris Rock is his character is analogous to Trump or Carson or any of these guys but. Just the the appeal of someone who's not part of the machine, who who comes in and upsets the machine, and um, it, it's a, it's almost like a very folk heroy trope now in American politics. 
um, that's yeah, reflected in this movie and, and in real life, too. Yeah, we've seen examples like that in the past, like, say, Ross Perot or Ralph yeah. Nader or even Bernie Sanders to some degree now in that there's this whole yeah. kind of uh, – p- people really like it, whether they will elect that person or not. Always remains to be – well, of course, they don't generally – but uh, it really appeals to people, not only just in, in, in film and media, but, uh, you know, in real life, too. There's a, there is that whole underdog thing. It's, it's, I think it's a plot line possibly in every, <laughs> every American movie generally. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, uh, every well, movie. Most American maybe, movies yeah. are about a lot of, like, it's, it's practically academic. Like, how many American movies are about an outsider who comes in and upsets the established order, whether that's, you know, something like The Natural or... Even Star Wars, Luke, Luke, the ultimate outsider raised on a planet at the back end of space, comes in and defeats the evil empire or helps lead to the defeat of the evil empire. So, I mean, that's certainly part of it, too. Um, The flip side of it is the the character who's the vice president, um, played by Nick Searcy, who people may know from from being um, Raylan Givens' boss from Justify – that's, I think that's probably his most. He's one of those actors who, like, I know, he's I recognize that guy. Say, hey, yeah. he's that guy. He's that guy from the thing. Uh, but he, he, <laughs> his character, who's vice president Brian Lewis, uh, always ends his speeches with "God bless America" and nowhere else, which is. <laughs> I mean, it sounds so cartoony, but you know, when you, when you're watching something like the Republican debate the other night, it's implied. Right? It, yeah. Well, exactly. God bless America, and nowhere else, and uh, you know, talk about canned speeches. Like he's. You know, the only things you really know about him by the end of the movie are he's been vice president for eight years, he's a war hero, and he's Sharon Stone's cousin. And <laughs> that's it's a kind of repeated ad nauseum. Does she have a cameo? No, but oh, okay. there is a scene where there's, there's a, uh, the news broadcaster says that uh, she <laughs> she throws her sport behind Maze Gilliam. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> they make a basic insult so, joke. Yeah. So yeah. As as Sharon Stone goes, as does the country, but uh, of course. But there's, I mean, it, it does really that simplicity that you know you can sum up this person in three lines. It seems to be something else, you know. The Ben Carson, neurosurgeon, Seventh Day Adventist, uh, you know, incredibly mellow guy, incredibly mellow. Donald Trump, bombastic, you know, real estate mogul, wealthy. Yeah, wealthy, classy. Uh, but you know, it just and seems then there's everybody else, <laughs> right? But and but there's also an expectation from people too that we can pigeonhole you, and you know, you if you identify as a Republican, you can't be for uh, doing something about climate change. You can't be for um, for you know dealing with immigration and reforming immigration. You can't work with the Democratic president. There's all these litmus tests and and. You know, yeah, you can say look at the movie and say that the Cersei character Brian Lewis is like this, this empty shell uh, of a person. But that's almost what people, some people in the United States want is like just an empty carcass that you can just fill with your own political needs and wants and ambitions on. That's interesting. You say that they don't actually specify what party he belongs yeah. to, which is indicative of what you know how uh, politics in general. It's kind of like those movies, like. You just have the president, like Independence Day or whatever. It's like there's the president. And they That's never true. actually say is he or she Republican or Democrat. Uh, they're just kind of there. It's like they're the president. Because, and that's that's the respect, I guess, they have for that position. Because even people that dislike Obama, there'll be a point in the future. And we see it now with, with Jimmy Carter. You know, no one will say anything bad about him. And he just sort of exists in this mm-hmm. on this pedestal. It didn't really matter that he was a Democrat or Republican. It's like, well, he was the president, so... 
that was like the ultimate uh, well, and Nixon, in cool points. Nixon too, to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, they they still had the full court press funeral for Nixon, even though he left the office and basically disgrace. And, and a lot of people were still ticked off years later that Ford pardoned him. But I mean, that that is the interesting thing. It's like this is a high. I mean, it's not a highly political movie. And like I said, there's a lot of silliness in it. Like you know, there's a Tracy Morgan character who's like <laughs> one, in his, one of the people from his neighborhood who's, who like steals meat and resells it. And uh, <laughs> but uh, there's you know so there's there's the silliness in it but yeah that's the stark thing i found not the stark no it's not stark but it's it's interesting that that they never identified political parties i mean it's kind of inferred that Mays gilliam is, is running as a democrat but there's there's nothing that says he's a democrat and there's nothing that says that brian lewis is a republican it's um so th- there's something about a purity of the commentary on politics because i think as soon as you make something partisan like that um people start obviously lining up on sides and i that is a, an interesting observation because um, if, if you think about the american presidents obviously he's a democrat because that plays into the the theme he's he's about to run for re-election or on the west wing where the the president's a democrat because that's where you build the conflict is mm-hmm. the party politics but yeah independence day i don't know if that if bill pullman's a republican or democrat or um 2012, which is another the, another role in Emmerich disaster film. I don't know if um, is it Bruce Greenwood? He's president. In that's uh, he, well, I think he was in one of the National Treasure movies actually. Ah, yeah, but uh, in 2012 it was Danny Glover, I think. Anyway, it's, you don't know what party he is. The closest thing in one of these like huge disaster movies where you know, learn the president, where you think you know the president's party, I think is like the day after tomorrow, where um, oh yeah, where yeah. Kenneth Walsh plays the vice president, who's so clearly modeled after Dick Cheney. So he's, funny he to looks like Cheney. Canadians to play the president. That's true too, like actually. Gordon Pinson in that uh, what was that old computer film? It's of the same vintage of Quentin whatever MP. <laughs> Corbin, well, Cor- I want to say the Corbinite maneuver, but then no. That's a Star Trek a, episode, yes, a Star I think. Trek episode. Uh, Corbin Project. We'll have to look up. Corbin it's got Pinson's Victor IMDb from uh, the YNR in it as well. So who did a lot uh, of movies, yes, including Victor. Planet of the Apes. Uh, yes. We're just going to do a movie show from now on. <laughs> a political show. Forget. <laughs> We're going to talk movies all the time. Anyway, uh, head of state. Um, I'm sure you can. I'm not sure if it's on Netflix or not, but it's. It's probably super easy to find a Thomas video or wherever you get movies from. Sounds um, great. Yeah, so it's it's worth checking out. It's on 90 minutes, easy breezy to sit through. And if you like Chris Rock, I think uh, there's a lot to recommend it to. And he's, he's a pretty sharp guy. Anyway, uh, we're going to take a break here for uh, our usual music and PSAs just because... It is Christmas Eve. It doesn't mean we can't get away with not taking breaks and playing people's commercials and we things. We need a break. Yeah, we need a break. Anyway, we will be right back with more Open Source's political movie special right here on CFRU 93.3 FM. Hi, I'm Braden. Lana. Ira. Svieta. Tanya. Elliot. Chantal. And Asana. Asana. And you're listening to 93.3 FM CFRU. Tune in to Planet Groove for Funky Fridays on CFRU from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. with your funky, funky blues doctor for a stir-fry of funk, rock, blues, metal, and more. That's 10 a.m. every Friday on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph. Barbara paints a picture 
of the yelling man downtown. Her shaking hand remembers Sam playing with his hat out. Her brushes colored summer when the sidewalk was filled. Two years into Parkinson's, she can't keep it still. My neighbor grows tomatoes like he has for sixty years. Paradise in his backyard since immigrating here. His doctor told him last spring to cut them from his diet. So Alfredo grows tomatoes. He leaves them on the vine. Hockey organ for the local junior A's. He's never had an audience that wasn't wearing skates. The league sent him a letter. Times are changing fast. The radio is cheaper. The season is his last. Are we weighed by what we love? When it's gone before us, are we weighed by what we love? What are we worth when it's gone before us? Barbara's bought a camera and she never puts it down. Alfredo plants a seed and smiles. It's the gardening that counts. Ben plays at church on Sundays, even after the ice melts. To my knowledge, they've never met. They know each other well. And that was Tragedy Anne from their album Heirlooms, and the song is Perfect Strangers. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca. We're heard every Thursday at 5 p.m. 
And if you're just joining us, this is an archival presentation of our film awards from 2015, our very first awards show. We've given out two sets of virtual hardware so far, so let's see what the next two hot picks are. And welcome back to the Open Source's favorite political movies show. And uh, just before we get into the next picks, I just wanted to say for the record, the name of the show is Quentin Durgin's MP, ah. starring Gordon Pinsent and you, Leslie Google. Barringer. Well, it's IMDb, actually. Ran for five seasons, 1966 to 71. Well, that's a long... Yeah. Yeah, it's, I'm surprised it's not on DVD or something somewhere. I'm sure... I'm sure, well, some old stuff like that somehow gets up, all uploaded to YouTube. I mean, but there's been a lot of discussion about... It was CBC, obviously it was CBC, right? Yeah. yeah. But there's been a lot of discussion and, you know, um, it, I, it, most of it involves, I guess, Doctor Who because a lot of the Doctor Whos have been lost because they just taped over. And it's always a big deal and, when they find one, right? It's yeah. Like, there's a radio station in Nigeria or a TV station <laughs> somewhere that has a full... Yeah, they found like 21 tapes of Doctor Who somewhere recently and it was very exciting because it was like some of the earliest missing Who that... Anyway, I must say one of them was very good. I, I got a loan of one, so I'm not quite a, I'm not quite a Whovian, but I do watch it. So. But this isn't the Doctor Who appreciation. No, that's show. right. Sorry, it's back, back to political movies. Back to business. Uh, so, Scotty, your second pick. My second pick is actually a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think back in the Beyond the Ballot Box days, I was always picking a Ken Loach film, and I'm going to stick with tradition and do that again because I he's possibly my favorite in terms of political films Mm -hmm. there's a film called land and freedom it's actually about 20 years old i think it came out in 1995 and it covers an interesting period in history the spanish civil war in that there were a lot of people including in canada that decided they wanted to go and fight the fascist government of franco in spain there was this uh, people would travel around and try and whip up support. I should also mention the the history aspect of it too, and mm-hmm. that there were a lot of more people that le- leaned more towards uh, socialist, communist, openly beliefs in the 30s, just because things were were so bad, and the yeah. Soviet Union was still a new kind of concept. That's not just to say that people that were sympathizers of communism or the Soviet Union went. There were quite large anarchists. How, how bad Stalin was hadn't quite made the rounds. No, yeah. <laughs> that's right. But it, it also it almost becomes clear that this is sort of an aside during the Spanish Civil War how bad Stalin was. But that's that's we'll talk about that another day maybe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we uh, the film follows a man named David who is an unemployed. Uh, uh, he's from Liverpool actually, and mm-hmm. he's also a car carrying communist. And volunteers to go and fight in Spain. The whole thing is presented in flashback in that he's, by the time, I think it's supposed to be in real time, so it's probably about 1995, uh, the granddaughter who is, I guess, his caregiver uh, goes to his flat and finds out that something's happened to him. So through this, we find out through his period of time in the hospital, the daughter goes through his stuff and has no idea that he was involved with this. I kind of, I had at least a couple of veterans in my family, not of the Spanish Civil War, but of World War II, and they just didn't talk about it. I think it's a very British thing. Mm-hmm. Unless pressed, they, they won't tell their story, but she, she's able to piece it together from the, the stuff that's lying around in the shoebox and whatnot. So, Ken Loach, you probably heard the name if you listen to Beyond the Ballot Box. No, if you... <laughs> he's a fairly well-known director. The film that you might know off the top of your head was The Wind That Shakes the Barley Star- it's got a pretty wide release. Yes, starring Killian Murphy, old blue eyes, who's also in uh, uh, Peaky Blinders now. 
Yeah. You, you know this guy. He's one of those guys who say, oh, yeah, I know him. He was Ke- Scarecrow in Batman Begins. Right? Ah, there you go. That's right. <laughs> and 28 days later. See, if, if, if Adam wasn't here, I'd be like... <laughs> All these random yeah, little exactly. things. You might <laughs> he was in 18 films. We don't know anything. But uh, <laughs> Ken Loach tends to get hold of people just on the cusp of stardom. Uh, Robert Carlyle, when he was a young fellow, was in a couple of Ken Loach movies. I'm thinking in particular Riff Raff, which is another... It's called a working class movie. So these types of films are known at least in the UK as kitchen sink dramas of which, and this is the second time I'm probably going to mention Coronation Street. Uh, <laughs> the ultimate kitchen sink drama that has been long lived was Coronation Street. Obviously it's a little bit different now than it was back in the day, but you could probably visualize what I'm talking about just by picturing that whole kind of fly in the wall of a working class home. This, that's how uh, Ken Loach works. In fact, when he's, he was directing films, he just kind of does this steps back and lets it all happen. He uses a lot of non-actors, in his movies and it it works somehow there are times when you see non-actors in films like people doing cameos and that and you think man they're really terrible who is that and you find, it's like oh it's so and so uh, Ivanka Trump I don't know <laughs> pick somebody who can, I don't know <laughs> pick somebody who doesn't really act but ends up doing a cameo in something uh, with Loach it tends to work somehow I think when he there are certain films that he does not necessarily this one because it was a period piece but he's done a few on on working people in particular Bread and Roses which had Oh my God, I've, I've lost his name. It'll come to me eventually. Uh, well, that film was from, I think, the year 2000, and it was about uh, cleaners in, in the United States and the attempts to organize them. And uh, he used the actual cleaners in the film. So that that's how he rolls. Still going, he's about 80 years old. I should mention that the lead in uh, Land and Freedom was uh, Ian Hart, who was, he. I think he's played John Lennon probably more than once. And he was, I'm going to blow with the name. But Adrian Brody was in Bread and Roses. Adrian Brody. Uh, Quinarius Quirrell from, I think it was Harry Potter 2, Philosopher's Stone. That's how you'd know Ian Hart if you saw him. Uh, Philosopher's Stone was part one. Philosopher's Stone was part one. See there, I, I have seen all the Harry Potter movies. <laughs> I don't know what the hell, which one's which, but I know he was the Muggle Studies professor. There you go. <laughs> Wasn't he the Dark Arts professor in part one? Maybe he had both gigs. I don't know. All right. <laughs> Talk about land and freedom. Talk about land and freedom. So, <laughs> yikes. There's a lot of uh, land and freedom kind of reflects a little bit what's going on today in Syria and that, that the Spanish Civil War was a multi-party conflict and there mm-hmm. were all sorts of small little militias with uh, sort of heading towards the same aim, which was getting rid of Franco's fascists, Franco being backed by the Germans and the Italians eventually. But the smaller groups who all leaned left, the anarchists, the uh, there was multiple divisions among the, the communists. Mm-hmm. And part of what happens with uh, Ian Hart's character, David, is the he ends up in the middle of, of that conflict as well as the, as the greater conflict. So he is a, a communist leftist, goes to fight fascism for what he thinks the right reasons. But of course, it's like anything, your your idealism just goes straight down the toilet when you get there because of all of the other stuff that's going on, things that are completely out of your control. Mm -hmm. You think you're doing the right thing, but in actual fact, and we see it with these, a lot of people now, including some Canadians who have gone to fight with the Kurds in in Syria. So there's a massive parallel to this. It's been drawn by more than one people, not specifically this film, but these uh, conflicts. So I don't know. There's just there's just something about this uh, type of film that appeals to me, not just because it's Ken Loach. I remember when I was very young, 
Um, and again, it was TV Ontario. TV Ontario has come up again too. They <laughs> they tended to just sort of pick up British dramas and play them. I guess I don't know if it's because they were able to do it cheaply, or that was just how it worked, or they figured that it was quality stuff. And it is. There's um, Ken Loach's first wide release film was a film called uh, Kess about a boy that adopted a, a bird. And I know that sounds almost completely ridiculous, but it was something that my mother, who's also a Coronation Street fan, <laughs> really liked. And I ended up watching with her. I was like, this is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I tried watching it again not that long ago, and it was a bit lumbering, but I think there was a point in time where films were kind of lumbering. You know, It was like you're trying to give this message, and it was supposed to be in real time. So it's not like an Andy Warhol film where they're watching somebody sleep for eight hours. What film was? I don't know. <laughs> that is that is unwatchable, but uh, maybe the, I, there's a super edit of these films somewhere. But like I said, Land of Freedom, completely watchable from start to finish without a super edit. And um, I can't say enough about Ken Loach. And I'm yeah. going to start a fan club. You, you don't think there's already one in existence? I don't know. I tried to get him to, on the uh, the show, my old show, but uh, it, was, it was a year of back and forth with his uh, person, and it was like Mr. Loach is kind of busy. And, yeah, uh, he's. I mean, he's still cranking them out. Yeah, I mean, for an eighty year old guy, he's cranking it out. And so. well, there's a lot of uh, old directors who like they just. I guess they just keep working until they drop. I yeah, mean, that's Robert Altman was like that. Robert mm-hmm. Altman was still cranking out films when. Not to diminish the abilities of eighty year olds, no, no. but I mean, it's the body of work is huge. I mean, he started in TV and now it's films and whatever. It's unbelievable. And he has an. Old, I mean, he's had difficulties given the subject matter. He's tackled mm-hmm. like not without controversy yeah. in lots of cases he's very uh anti-zionist israel and anytime there's a film festival he'll be like oh you can't show that film and gets into trouble quite regularly for but he's, his he's still a regular views. at con i mean mm-hmm. i think this was an award winner at con if i'm not mistaken or at least very much in contention yeah he's always up for the palm door the yeah. palm, one of one of the one of the awards there uh, he'll nev- never ever be up for an Oscar, although maybe Wind That Shakes the Barley was. Uh, and I'm not I'm not even sure why that ended up in such wide release, because a lot of his films are just you need to hunt for them. Like like I was saying earlier about the, uh, you know, the delete bit of the beat goes on. But Thomas Video used to have all of them, mm. and uh, some of them were on a video cassette. So <laughs> I guess they're probably not as available now at Thomas Video. But it's like anything; you can dial it up online. I believe he has his own uh, YouTube channel. And if you want to watch any of these, including Land and Freedom, if you want to shell out three bucks, go for it. So, yeah. by any means. And the, and the Spanish Civil War too, not something that gets a lot of attention on film, or at least North American film, I guess, because there was no skin in the game over here. No, and, but although like fifteen hundred people from Canada went, and they weren't supposed to. That that would make an excellent film. Yeah. As to as to why what what they were driven by, and uh, I believe the last survivor has died recently because, I mean, this, it obviously predates World War II by a few years. Mm-hmm. And there is, there's actually a monument to it at, at Queen's Park, and I, there, that is a story in itself as to how this this rock from the fields of Spain ended up at Queen's Park. I don't, I don't think, you know, considering the times now, I don't think it would be allowed because they weren't supposed to go. They were yeah. prohibited by the government. Not unlike they consider some of the Kurdish groups, terrorist groups in this country, or at least they did, and in other countries, and you're really not supposed to go. And of course, when you come back, you'll be in, well, I wouldn't say trouble, but you've de- there'll definitely be a red flag on your account when you come back to Canada. It's like, so, why were you fighting with these terrorists? <laughs> back in those days, I think, and because it was all sort of you know, subsumed by World War II, yeah. uh, but I, I believe a lot of the veterans of it weren't allowed to fight in the, the war. 
So maybe that's a screenplay we could write. I don't know. <laughs> we'll add it to the. We probably should. We'll add it to the workload. Um, yeah, exactly. I can't even read a paper. Right? <laughs> it's no time. But you know, you you did make an interesting point about drawing the analogies to um, to what's going on today within within Syria. Because yeah, you, you try if you don't know anything about the Spanish Civil War, like try reading the Wikipedia page on the Spanish Civil War because you it, it'll you have to click on all the links so you can get ahead on all the you know so you get your head around all the various players because it wasn't just one communist group there were foreign communist fighters there were local Spanish communist fighters you know there, and then there were various degrees of I guess and, severity and communist belief well, you know there were the people mm-hmm. who who you talk about who like it was the Great Depression and you know uh, it was for worker rights and and uh, you know you know making it the the capitalist system a little decentralized was appealing, just as an idea because you're hosed, you can't find work, um, you're you know living on bread and water like a prisoner, and uh, there's got to be someone to blame for that, and it's you know why not the money guys that crashed the market. And so, and then you have the really hardcore Bolsheviks, uh, or the people believe in the, like the core tenants who like live and breathe Marx, and um, then all points in between across the spectrum. It's it, it was like a really interesting time. And then they all start fighting with each other, which probably ended it all. But and right, and and there, there's and, a, and that's happening now, right? With the but there's a plot in in this right where the main character David he he ends up with the 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 government fighters. And then he goes back to his original, uh, his original brigade, who are all foreigners. Um, and there's kind of a clash there. So even amongst the side that's fighting for the government, because you know the other side is of course the fascists, and so they're kind of the bad guys, in quote marks, because they're the fascists. So even amongst the quote unquote good guys, you had these tremendous differences that resulted in violence between them. It's one of the best or most telling scenes in the movie when they do start taking shots at each other. I believe it's in Madrid, which was sort of the retreat point of the of the government when uh, Franco's troops were marching on. So, and eventually it wasn't a very long conflict, but of course then World War II came along and that changed everything once again. But there were a lot of people then that felt that this fight would have, would have sort of stopped fascism in its tracks, which again is a very idealistic approach to it. And it obviously didn't, it obviously didn't at that time. And uh, look what happened. Well, if Franco wins, and then World War One, or sorry, World War Two, pretty much starts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, it, you can almost see it as it was like the test run. Yeah, or it's like well, and hopefully that's not yeah. the case with Syria, but <laughs> hopefully not. No, but but although my my next pick, um, there's definitely um, some pretty strong analogies. Uh, it's W, uh, which is Oliver Stone's uh, biographical. Uh, drama about uh, the life of George W. Bush, and it came out in October 2008, so it came out right before the 2008 election. Of course, George W. Bush wasn't running in that election, and by then his approval numbers were south of the toilet. Yeah, so let's call it south of the toilet. <laughs> south of the toilet. Uh, <laughs> A screenplay so, by Adam A. Donaldson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> south of the toilet. <laughs> Coming in 2017. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I mean, it wasn't, I don't think this was, you know, Fahrenheit 9-11, the Michael Moore documentary came out in like June 2004, which was obviously designed to try and change minds about George W. Bush. And I think Oliver Stone had kind of a similar idea, but by then no one's mind really needed to change it about the legacy of George W. Bush. Except what I will say about W is it makes George W. Bush very sympathetic. 
Really? Yeah. I have to, I have to admit I haven't seen it yet, but yeah, it's, I, I remember it coming out. And I was like, yeah, that's on my list. But yeah, it's uh, it's James uh, Josh Brolin plays uh, George W. Bush, and it it, uh, it flashes back between his. His days. That's an interesting pick for Bush. Sorry, I just yeah, no, no. He I always picture Will Ferrell when I think of somebody <laughs> playing George Bush, right? But and that's probably not fair either. But well, it, it was the same thing when they got uh, Julianne Moore to be Sarah Palin for the HBO movie Game Change. Ah, right. Because who who do you think of when you think of somebody playing Sarah Palin? You think oh, of, of TSA. I thought of that before she even played her. I was like, yeah, you know, she has to come back and do this. But and like, then, and then it happened. Yeah, but like Julianne Moore, uh, who, who really kind of captured Sarah Palin without it becoming a caricature. I think Josh Brolin really captures George W. Bush without being a caricature. He, like, the, there's scenes where he's he's leading, uh, like, cabinet meetings where he's uh, he's doing all the gestures and the way he the George Bush carried himself with that Texas swagger, uh, calling people out by the first by their by their nicknames. You know, I was like, "What do you what do you think, Vice?" You know, he says the Cheney, and they're like, "Guru for for Condoleezza Rice," and uh, genius for um, Carl Rove, who's played by Toby Jones. Um, very good by uh, by Toby Jones too. Um, he makes Carl Rove somewhat human uh but yeah it, you wouldn't think it possible but <laughs> but yeah it so it, it really makes george w bush sympathetic because uh it, it goes back and forth between the lead up to the iraq war and uh george bush's life in college uh, when he was at yale as a like a drunken screw-up to his time in the oil fields as a drunken screw-up to his time <laughs> as um you know running for gov for uh for uh state his uh, seat, state seat as a drunken screw-up. And uh, w- what it really pushes here is, is the idea that this is a, a man who was, who was living in the shadow of not just his father, who was a uh, war hero, congressman, uh, head of the CIA, vice president, president, uh, like, the re- like the resume of a lifetime kind of thing, um, but the fact that his older brother, Jeb Bush... Uh, was kind of the um, heir apparent, and uh, there's um, now he's got three percent or whatever it is. Well, this is the thing. There's a scene <laughs> near the end where George Bush is. It's after the Iraq War has been uh, has been fought and quote unquote won. It's after he does the mission accomplished thing where he, he's having this dream where he walks into the Oval Office and his father is there, and his father starts berating him for being a for. Get for all the things the film has been alluding to about him being a screw up and having no direction and how and, and there's a scene where where George H W Bush played by James Cromwell says you have ruined it for Jeb and Ooh. yeah and and there, there's, there's been this, this whole back and forth the whole movie because uh, in the 90s of course George W Bush decides he's going to run for governor of Texas at the same time Jeb Bush has decided he's going to run for governor of Florida and uh, he's 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 there with uh, his father and his mother. And he's like saying, I'm going to run for governor of Texas. And uh, their first reaction is, well, Jeb's running for governor of Florida. Is that really fair to Jeb that you're going to run for governor of Texas while he's running for governor of Florida? And like for George W. Bush, it's a great moment. You know, he's like, I have another one of these moments where he's like, I have this direction. I have this idea. I'm going to do great. And he's like, he's really excited. And he's explaining to his father and like, well, what do you, what about Jeb? You're kind of screwing Jeb over. And he's like, forget about Jeb. Like, I want to do this. I feel strongly and passionately about doing this. And you can't help but feel sorry for him. And I, I wonder how much of this is like actually true. I don't. Well, that's the thing with Stone. I mean, if you think back to something like JFK, there was a lot oh, yeah. of implied there's truth in it for sure so that's what i'm wondering about w is it 
based mostly on fact. I mean, obviously, a lot of it is speculative. Sure. But I guess the storyline in terms of the way it evolved is is generally true. Yeah. Or there would have been a lawsuit, probably, right? (laughs) But, I mean, it's no secret that Jeb has always been the quote-unquote smarter Bush, the Bush who's had, like, direction and building his life up. Shades of the Fords a little bit, eh? Yeah, it's a little bit. Fords are like budget Bushes, aren't they, really? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. a bit. But, I mean, there is that parallel. I mean, Doug is obviously the the smarter one, the 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 one who has, like, some kind of drive and Mm -hmm. ambition, whereas, you know, Rob is kind of like, I'm just going to lay back here and, you know, I'm going to answer phone calls. I'm going to connect with people and do the handshake thing. But he really driven, really wants to do it, even if he's not necessarily the contender. Right. Look what happened. Mayor of Toronto. Yeah, and it's kind of... They're, Look they're, what happened, President of the U.S. <laughs> and yeah... And the unlikely President of the I U.S. I mean, I think a lot of the stuff going on with Jeb right now is Jeb fault. Or not... Is, or is just like he, he doesn't have what his brother had. Like, they'll sit down and have a beer with. And it's it's not all to do with Trump. I mean, yeah, you can come in and say Trump's sucking all the oxygen out of the, the room. But for... for it's also Jeb's problem that he just can't connect, and it. it's kind of the the thing. Like, well, why do you want to be president? Well, because my brother just was because, president, yeah. my father was president, and I don't think that's really been articulated well by his campaign. Hmm. But getting back to the movie, um, because that's what we're here about. Uh, yeah, it, it is funny how Oliver Stone can kind of take these these figures uh, who really should be unlikable in the historical context because there's another uh, presidential movie that Oliver Stone did, Nixon. Oh, yeah. He did yeah. Nixon with Anthony Hopkins as Nixon. Mm-hmm. And there's he, he does a really interesting job of... Because when Nixon came out, Nixon came out in like 95. It's like right around the time Nixon died. Mm-hmm. And uh, as, as we said in the previous... Like there's still the pomp and circumstance you get as a the funeral for an ex-president. But... At the time, a lot of people were saying, well, why are we giving this man pomp and circumstance? You know, he, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Watergate um, primarily, but, you know, also prolonging Vietnam ad infinitum. But it's the old, well, it's just what we do. So Right. And what Stone does with Nixon is, uh, you know, present a man who is extremely ambitious but gets caught up in a machine that is uh, even more... And or not more ambitious, but like more l- l- powerful than he, even the president of the United States is. And there's a scene where you can watch in the director's cut. It's not in the theatrical cut, but it's a scene with um, Hest, uh, the head of the CIA, where it's like it's kind of like this weird, like supernatural seance scene. It's it's <laughs> like uh, his eyes go black. The head of the CIA's eyes go black, and it's like the beast is revealed. And uh, sounds like Stone <laughs> takes it there. Yeah. And you know the beast being like kind of like a conflagration of like conspiracy theory stuff about the late twentieth century and the military industrial complex. But it's just like this beast in the heart of America that even Nixon, who is like who is like the the Machiavelli president of all Machiavelli presidents, can defeat. Uh, and in in W, it's really kind of a story of a man who has great ambition and wants to prove to his father that he is not a drunken screw-up in the midst of creating... I mean, he wasn't drunk at the time, but in the midst of, of allowing himself to craft one of the... Uh, what I mean, we, we're still probably too close to it, but in, in 50 years, it will probably be looked at as one of the greatest foreign policy screw-ups in the history of the United States, and that's going into Iraq 
Oh, absolutely. And yeah. where there were no WMDs and where the the post-war um, was, wasn't was handled very well. And there, there's a scene where W realizes just how out of hand the situation's become where he's having a meeting at CENTCOM and he's like, who's in charge of trying to find the WMDs? And it, it's like everybody around the table and it's like, it's Colin Powell and Condi Rice and Tommy Franks and and they're just like, well, it's so-and-so's. No, it's so-and-so. No, it's so-and-so. It's this person's job. <laughs> like, no, it's the undersecretary of, of this at the State Department that's supposed to be doing it. And, of course, that person's not even in the room. Higher order deflection. And, you know, Bush is just he's completely broken. He's completely frazzled because he you know, he's dependent on these people to give him advice to sort of mold his you know the direction of this is and they have completely come up short and uh you know it it it's, it speaks to the need i i guess when you are the commander in chief to, mm-hmm. to to sort of know yourself um and not depend you know, like you you depend on advice of others but you can't sort of craft where you're going in terms of your policy ideas just by purely on letting people lead you to where you need to go. Like, if you know what you want to do, you have to know in your heart the reasons why you want to do something. Um, so in, in that regard, Bush is uh, at fault, but, I mean, it, it's still an incredibly sympathetic portrayal. So that's, that sounds great. Is it stone length? You know, the stone tends to go into the two- to three-hour range. No, it's two just, hours long. Not that I wouldn't watch it because it was long. It's just <laughs> sometimes no, no, it it's seems not. To, he does, like, <laughs> epic films, and you're like, oh, my God. Well, no. yeah, he's, like, re-edited Could Alexander you not have oh, oh. like three times, and it gets yeah. longer every time. Oh, but no, longer? Is, <laughs> does it get shorter, please? <laughs> no, no, Oliver Stone only adds longer. Uh, I, I have the... I have the JFK VHS and it's like two tapes long. <laughs> uh, but no, the tapes. What are W's yeah. two hours? Simple two hours, and it's simple it's really engaging. And I think and a lot of great performances. Toby Jones, as I mentioned, is Rove. Jeffrey Wright is Colin Powell. Uh, Thaddy Newton, Scott Glenn, and Richard Dreyfus as as Cheney. Oh wow, yeah. really? So you know that's an exciting Hooper. Hooper from Jaws is Cheney. Interesting to come Excellent. around. Interesting to come around from chasing Daddy sharks Kravitz to being a shark. Is, but is, yeah. Anyway, uh, so that's it for our movie special. I hope you guys enjoyed it. You can stay connected to us uh, every day, all year long, at our website, opensourcesguelph.com. We have, are, of course, on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and you can follow us on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. And once again, Podbean is where you can go to download this episode or other episodes of the Guelph, of the Open Sources show, I mean to say. It's on the Guelph Politicast channel. So you can listen to us anytime, wherever you listen to podcasts. I am at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter. I'm Scotty Hertz on Twitter, also on Facebook. CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And we'll see you next week. Yes, are you?